You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He, he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Pam. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I actually just want to start by thanking you for the fathers uh, in this room. And I just want to pray uh, especially um, for them, that you would empower them, that you would give them the strength, all that they need to lead well in their home, to love their children, to disciple them, to prepare them as arrows to be sent out. I pray for those who maybe are sad on a day like this as they feel maybe uh, guilt or shame over not being the father that they believe that you've called them to be, or maybe uh, their father was not to them as they wanted, or their father has passed on. I pray that you would just comfort them, and especially for those that maybe even forgot today was Father's Day. Um, I pray especially for them, Lord, that they would just experience your love in a deep and profound way. I pray now as we dive into this text that, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive all that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray and as he sings, amen. You may be seated. All right, so the title of my sermon today is The Gift of the Wake-Up Call. If you go to the doctor and you think everything is fine, but then you get diagnosed with a major illness, that's a wake-up call. If your spouse walks in the room and says, I do not love you anymore, that's a wake-up call. Uh, if you've showed up every morning to work and you've always done the right thing and then you get laid off, that's a wake-up call. If it's the year 2022 and you think because COVID is behind us, the world is stabilizing finally, and then you wake up and gas is $4.30 a gallon and the interest rates continue to rise and you know inflation shoots through the roof, like, that's a wake-up call. See, all of us at one time or another have experienced a wake-up call and though at the time these are viewed as negative events or something that we do not want to happen to us, it's actually these very things that God can use as a great gift in our life. Because unlike anything else, it is the wake-up call that has the power to shake you out of complacency, to get our attention, to straighten our priorities, to help us refocus and realign our hearts around what matters most. 
And you see in Revelation chapter 3, this is what is happening. Jesus is looking at the church in Sardis, which is actually, by the way, the largest and the wealthiest of all the churches in Revelation. And he gives them a wake-up call. And he does so in verse 1, if you look back with me, by saying this to them. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Keep in mind, this is a church that knows how to attract a crowd. They have a huge following on social media, tons of resources to build great facilities. Their pastor is entertaining. Their worship is smooth. Their hospitality team is well-trained. Their kids' ministry and their student ministry is phenomenal. This is a church that people in their city are absolutely impressed with. It is a popular and prestigious church, and yet Jesus says, though you look really good on the outside, you're dead on the inside. Can you imagine being at a church service on the morning this letter was read. A pastor walks up on stage and it's like, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I actually have a letter from Jesus to read to you this morning. Like, oh, goody. Like, we love Jesus. This is going to be a great church service, right? And he begins to read and he comes this line and he says, you have a reputation of being alive. You're like, yeah, we do. Yeah, look at us. We got it going on. But he goes on and says, you are dead. I think if you were like me, you'd be defensive, like, whoa, hey, 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 wait a minute, like, sleepy, tired, like, yeah, that's probably true, but dead? I mean, these are harsh words, sobering words written by Jesus, and not because he's against this church, but he's trying to wake them up, to shock them back into life. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but some of the hardest people to resurrect are religious people. Those who walk with a spiritual swagger, good, outstanding citizens, moral people who are able to check all the religious boxes and they've known just enough God talk to convince other people they're alive when in fact they are not. I think of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They are the conservative religious leaders, highly respected by society. They were the ones who were trying to take the culture back for God. And in Matthew 23, Jesus says to them, "'Woe to you, teachers and law, the Pharisees, you hypocrites!' You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones and of dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people of righteousness, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This is Jesus' critique to the church in Sardis. A bunch of religious people who look really good on Sunday morning. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And therefore, because this is true out of love, Jesus gives them a wake-up call. In verse 2, if you look back with me, he literally says, verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, and I, uh, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. In this verse, we have three exhortations I want to walk through very quickly. Three things Jesus says to those who find themselves spiritually dead. And the first thing he says is simply this, wake up. Or a more accurate translation is remain watchful. Because you are in a constant battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, don't be flippant. Don't be complacent. Stay awake. Keep on being watchful. And you see, this would have been a particularly meaningful word to the church in Sardis because if you know anything about Sardis, you know it was a city that was actually built into a mountain and they had this massive, what they thought was kind of unpenetrable wall that surrounded their city. And so if you're a visual learner, uh, think about Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. I think I have a picture I can put on the screen possibly of Helm's Deep. Do we have that? Okay, there it is. 
And so I, I, I put Rocky ahead of Lord of the Rings last week in greatest movies of all time, and I caught some shade for that. So here's the Lord of the Rings reference for all of you that are mad at me. Okay, this is a little bit of what Sardis would have looked like. And with that in mind, here's what's crazy. Despite the fact Sardis was built on this mountain and it was fortified by this massive wall in 218 BC, because Sardis had gotten too comfortable, because they had gotten too apathetic, because they were not remaining watchful, the city was destroyed. And listen, you know how it was captured? It was captured by 15 men who climbed a wall, snuck into the fortress, and then opened the city gates from the inside, allowing the Persian army to come in and lay them to waste. And so what Jesus is saying here is just this. Don't pull the covers back over your head. Like, listen, don't get lulled to sleep. Don't become distracted. When it comes to your spiritual development, don't hit cruise control. Don't stop guarding your heart. Stay alert and stay alive. That's the first thing he says. Secondly, he says, if you find yourself spiritually dead, strengthen what remains and is about to die. So he says, yeah, you're dead, but there obviously are still some things that are alive. And he says, uh, focus on those things, like strengthen what is actually maybe dying, but there's still life in it. And one of the ways I think about this is my zoysia grass. I've shared this with y'all before, but you remember the story, right? Whenever I moved into our house uh, on Carriage Hills, uh, the yard was terrible. In fact, one of the neighborhood girls came to our house and totally unprompted said, quote, this is the worst yard ever. I was like, okay. She was seven. Like, wow, I didn't even know kids paid attention to yards, but it's that bad, huh? And so uh, I actually sprayed the entire yard with Roundup to kill all the weeds. I tilled the yard, which got a lot of like, you know, sneers and remarks from my neighbors that are like, hello, farmer, what you doing there? And all that. So like, I'm tilling up my yard. Eventually I get zoysia grass. Use my brother-in-law, uh, Harrison Wilkins came to that. We laid zoysia on the, uh, on our yard because we heard that's the Cadillac of all grasses. And it looked great. I think I have a picture of it. Can we go to like the, the, the flourishing, uh, green grass? Do we have that picture? Yeah, there it is, right? I mean, it was, it was green. It was vibrant. There was life, but I got apathetic. I didn't take care of the grass the way I was supposed to. And so what happened is this little fungus got into the grass and the little fungus began to spread until next slide, we eventually got to this point right here. That was in June. Uh, as you can see, I mean, that's not pretty. Like that truly is the worst yard ever right there. And I was so discouraged because I put so much work into just trying to keep this thing alive. And yet now here it is barely hanging on. It's dry, it's dead, it's bare. I mean, it looks terrible. And rather than giving up, what I decided to do is just, I said, look, there's a little bit of green in there. So I'm just going to work with what I've got. I'm just going to begin to water this. I'm going to begin to nurture this. I'm just going to start with what I have. And as a result, next slide, eventually we got back to this, right? Again, life, vibrant, flourishing. It is as it should be. And the reason I share that is just to say this. For some of you this morning, spiritually speaking, you feel like the life has been choked out of you. You feel dry. You feel spiritually dead. And if that is where you are, don't compare your life to your neighbor's life. Uh, don't think about how far you still have to go. Just start where you are with what you have, even if it's just a single blade of life. Even if it's just an inch of life that is barely sticking out amongst the dry and hard ground, start with that, strengthen that, and trust it as you do. No matter how small it seems, that will begin to grow and flourish and spread. For some of you this morning, you're like, Jared, I keep hearing you talk about, and the pastors talk about how I need to spend unhurried time with Jesus in the morning, but I'm just not a morning person. Okay, well, don't try to wake up tomorrow and read two to three chapters in the Bible. Like, just read one verse. 
And if you can't read one verse and just like listen to the Bible as you're getting ready in the morning, like download the Lectio 365 app for free and just listen to that while you're brushing your teeth. Like when you're on your commute to work, throw a worship song on. Like at lunch, just stop and, and, and pray before the meal. When you're going to bed at night while falling asleep, just, just thank God for a few of the blessings from that day. And listen, as small as that seems, please hear me. If you will do that with consistency over time, God will use these small, ordinary acts of obedience in a big way. I think one of Satan's greatest tactics against the church is to convince you those small acts of obedience don't matter. And that if you're going to get out of the situation that you're in, if you're going to wake up, if you're going to become alive, you're going to have to do something huge that honestly is way beyond your reach, and therefore you get discouraged and you give up. Most of us in our culture are addicted to intensity, but fruit actually comes in consistency. It comes from small, unseen, non-glamorous acts of obedience that over time transform your life from the inside out. And so listen, your personal life may not look like Billy Graham. Like you may not have that kind of powerful devotional life. You may not be able to read tons of scripture or pray for hours on end. And that's okay. Just strengthen what remains. Start with what you have and begin to watch the life grow. Jesus then says this, remember what you have received and heard. What have they heard? Well, it's the gospel. It's the fact that Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life. You could never live and he died a death on a cross. You deserve to die and he rose from the dead. Now he sent you his spirit. And that's what they've received, by the way. When they believe the gospel, they have received the Holy Spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says the spirit that you have received is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And so what Jesus is saying here is remember, you had the power to change. You don't have to just kind of walk around this ball and chain. Like you don't have to remain stuck in this addiction. You don't have to just experience death. Like you had the power to be raised from the dead, no matter how dead you are, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And therefore, a lot of this, rather than grieving the Spirit who can give you the power to change, as a way of beginning to walk and step with the Spirit so you can experience abundant life, what Jesus says next is this. He says, repent. Stop compromising. Stop living in habitual disobedience to God. Because all sin leads to death, if you want to experience life, uproot the sin that is actually robbing you of life, turn from your sin and turn back to me as your Savior. This is the invitation from Jesus. He says, you think you're doing so good, but you are dead. So wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received and heard and repent. Don't just confess your sin. Turn from it. See, to the world, the church in Sardis was so impressive. By all outward appearances, they are doing great, but Jesus is not impressed. He sees the heart, he sees the whole picture, and he says, church, you're actually settling. You are not living up to your potential. You're not being the church that I created you to be. In verse 2, he says, I have found that your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. You know, I've shared this before, but I'll never forget the conversation I had with Ben Neiser one day when I was folding jeans in the buckle in the Indian Mall. And he came up to me and he said, hey, Pickney, how's the uh, college ministry that you started? How's that going? I was like, well, actually, it's not going. He's like, what do you mean it's not going? I was like, well, I quit doing it. I was like, nobody was showing up. It was just difficult. We stopped doing it. He said, I thought you told me God told you to start that ministry. I said, well, yeah, he did. He said, well, then get back to it. Like, 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 go back. Don't give up. Don't quit. Go back and you do the thing that you know God told you to do, no matter how hard it is. As a result, I went back, started the college ministry. 
lives begin to be changed. Eventually a church takes note and they say, hey, we want to pay you to come on our staff and just keep doing what you're doing while I'm on church at that staff. There's a pastor there who helps get me the presidential scholarship to Southern Seminary while I'm at Southern Seminary. I take a course. I learn about church planting. As a result of that, I end up in a church planting residency. As a result of that, I end up planting this church. That's why we're here today. My point in just sharing that is just to say this. God has also given you works to do. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, it says that, that, you were, that God has given you works to do that he has actually prepared before time that you should walk in them. And my fear this morning is there are some of you who have given up on that work. Whether it's around your marriage or your parenting or some specific ministry or generosity or evangelism or discipleship or something different. There are some of you, you know what God has told you to do. But somewhere along the way, things got hard. You didn't see the fruit. You got distracted, and as a result, you are settling for less. And now you sit here with unfinished deeds that God has called you to get back to, to complete. And if that is where you are, according to Jesus, listen to me very carefully. What Jesus goes on to say next is you would rather suffer surging ahead for him than drown in a crowded sea of apathy. In verse 3, he says, If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Remember Jesus, he's so good at contextualizing his message. He's talking to a city, remember, that was overtaken because they got apathetic. They got too comfortable because they thought they were untouchable, and they were above the risk of being overtaken. And while they were in their comfort, their own bed, sleeping, these men slipping to the crack in their wall, open the door for the Persian army, and everyone is laid to waste. Because there's no one who stayed awake to guard just a little bitty crack in the wall, they experience devastation. And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, don't let this happen in your life. Don't be flippant. Don't be apathetic. Don't be arrogant. That'll never happen to me. Guard your heart. Pay attention to what is going on on the inside. Listen, guys, you are more weak and more vulnerable than you think you are. Guard what you have, otherwise someone will come in. And Jesus says, that someone eventually will be me. I will return. And you don't know when it's going to happen. And if you don't steward well what little you have, then I will take that from you too. A few years ago, I got a call from a friend of mine um, who had just blown up his marriage and his ministry. He's a pastor. And when I found out, he actually had an affair with his, with his uh, children's pastor. And when I found out about this, I was shocked. Because this is like, this is the dude. Like, this is the guy that, like, the pastor, like, every other pastor wanted to be. Um, he planted his church in Memphis the same time I planted this church. And he was, like, big dog. Like, he had, you know, like, I, I don't know if anybody, like, put their stamp of approval on me other than maybe Chuck and Fellowship Jonesboro. But this guy had, like, a stamp of approval from all, like, the big names. Like, Matt Chandler, at the time, Mark Driscoll, Darren Patrick. Like, everybody, like, anyone who was everyone, like, in, in, in America, as far as the church, like, knew this guy. was like, he's the next big thing. And then he blew his life up. He looked great on the outside, but slowly but surely he was dying on the inside. And he made a decision that not only devastated his wife, but also that church that to this day just never recovered from. And I remember a few months after this phone call, I was uh, meeting with Elliot Grudem. Elliot Grudem was the son of Wayne Grudem, wrote a systematic theology book that a lot of us have, have worked through. 
uh, and he is a mentor to pastors all across the country. That's what he does. That's his ministry. And Elliot had been a personal mentor to this, my pastor friend in Memphis. And I asked Elliot, I said, man, like, how did this happen? Because I ought to be honest, I was a little bit scared. So I'm like, it can happen to him, it can happen to me. So I'm like, how did this happen? And he said, because this guy was always cool with 99.9% confession. In other words, he would confess a lot. He would repent of a lot, but there's this one part of his life that he refused to deal with, that he would refuse to repent of, and that's where the enemy hit. That's how he got in, in that little bitty slither, that little bitty crack in the wall, which as a result destroyed this man's marriage and ministry. And guys, listen, that's always the way it works. Always. David was a man after God's own heart. And he has an affair with a woman, and because he's afraid her husband's going to find out, he kills him. And David, if you study his life, he did not just wake up one day and say, you know what, it's beautiful outside, I think I'm going to have an affair. Like, it was small, seemingly insignificant steps in the wrong direction that eventually led him there. And so Jesus says, wake up, don't be naive, be vigilant, don't let what you have be taken like a thief. Jesus says this to them because of the rewards he knows that he has for those who stay awake. And here's the rewards. We'll end here, verse 4 through 6. He says, You have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious, like them, will be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. What a beautiful picture. Jesus says, if you will remain alive, you will walk with me. It does not get any better than that. Just like Adam and Eve walked in the garden. One day, he says, your faith is going to become sight and you are going to walk with me in paradise. And notice what you're going to be wearing, by the way. That's significant. He says, you're going to be dressed in white. Why is that significant? Because what that means is you're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. What is true of him will be true of you. You're going to be clean. All the impurities are going to be washed out of you. You will have no failures, no flaws. You will be perfected. You will be made new from the inside out, which means no sin, no shame, no guilt, no imperfections. And therefore, because that is true, when you arrive in heaven, think about this, you will feel like you totally belong there. I was in Cherokee Village just a couple of weeks ago with um, some pastor friends of mine. And uh, we meet uh, every summer in Cherokee Village. They come from, from really all over the country. And all of these guys have bigger churches than, than our church. They're more successful. Some of them are authors. They've written like books and because of that, even though they're super warm and welcoming, like every time I get there, like for the first 12 hours, I'm in a shame cycle and I'm just like, I do not belong here. Like I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. My church is not big enough. And here's the thing, like heaven's not going to be like that. You're going to be walking in the presence of the most glorious being in the universe, the one who is more magnificent and powerful and beautiful than you could ever imagine. You will never, not even for a second, feel out of place. You'll feel more at home in heaven than you've ever felt anywhere else in your entire life. 
And then look at this next promise. He says, I will never blot out your name from the book of life, but I will acknowledge your name before my father and his angels. You know, one of the more traumatic events for me in middle school, I've shared this before, was whenever I didn't make the basketball team. All of my friends made it, but I didn't. I remember walking into the gym and I'm looking at a list of these names and I'm reading these off. Josh, Evan, Brad, Casey, JT, Caleb, Chris, and I get to the end and my name is left off the list. And as you can imagine, as a fifth grader, I felt an incredible amount of shame and fear and loneliness because at the end of the day, I was not as much concerned about not making the team as I was about losing my friendships. I was concerned that like, while they were off doing their own thing, that because I didn't have what it takes that I was going to be left out. And the great promise from Jesus to you and me today is this, to the one who is victorious, to the one who wakes up, who stays alert, says you can trust your name will be on the list of all lists for all eternity. And as a result, you will know without a shadow of a doubt that you are safe and you are secure and you are loved by the only perfect father who has ever existed. What a promise. And if you've not, by the way, taken time to just meditate on these promises throughout this series, I would encourage you to do that. Spiritual significance and a glorious kingdom where you're walking with Jesus and being acknowledged by the perfect father that you've always longed for. This is why Jesus says, wake up. With that being said, as we begin to come in for a landing, here's my question for you. Are you spiritually alive? Or are you spiritually dead? My question is not, have you been baptized? My question is not, have you prayed the prayer? My question is not, are you showing up regularly on Sundays? My question is, are you spiritually alive? And I think in order to answer that question, there are three questions that you can ask yourself. The one of the first one is around this idea of desperation. And I would just ask yourself this question, like, am I desperate for Jesus? I've been around probably 15 people over the last 12 years who were on their deathbed. And let me tell you the first thing that always goes when someone's dying, their appetite. They don't eat and they don't drink. That's a big indicator of where you are spiritually speaking. Do you hunger and thirst for Jesus? David says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, God. The great reformer Martin Luther said, do not leave me, for if you do, I will easily wreck it all. Do you have that level of desperation in your life? Do you long to be with Jesus, not just in the next life, but here? And therefore, as a result, you pursue him through scripture and prayer and fasting and worship and community. Do I have a desperation? Do am I desperate for Jesus? Another question to ask yourself to know if you're alive is around this idea of disposition. Are you becoming like Jesus? Would those around you say that your life is increasingly marked by the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love. Are you increasingly becoming a person of love and even loving your enemies? And joy. Are you increasingly becoming a person of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. And then the last question is around this idea of duplication. You see, I did three Ds, desperation, disposition, duplication. It took me two hours to come up with that this week. 
And we, I think we have it on the screen. Oh, there it is, one right there. And the, and the question around duplication is this. Am I increasingly doing the works that Jesus did? So am I increasingly being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did? In John 14, Jesus said, because I'm giving you my spirit, the works I have done, you will do, and even greater works than these you will do. So are you increasingly sharing your faith, increasingly seeking to make disciples, increasingly seeking to, to move towards the last least and loss of society with compassion? For some of you this morning, as you begin to process this message and this, these questions, maybe this is your wake-up call moment. Maybe what God is trying to say to you this morning is, hey, the reason she broke up with you is because I have more for you. The reason you didn't get that job or the promotion is because I have more for you. The reason you've had that health scare is because I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to get you to refocus and realign your heart around my heart to seek first my kingdom. Some of you this morning, you feel tired, you feel weary, maybe you feel like you are on life support, spiritually speaking. And I believe the reason you're hearing this message today is Jesus wants you to know, I am not done with you. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. The church in Sardis was dead, but Jesus did not leave them there. He gave them a wake-up call, and the good news is they listened. They actually listened. They ended up producing one of the greatest and most influential leaders in church history who had a massive impact on their church and, and, and the surrounding region for generations to come. And so this church listened, and listen, you can listen too. No matter how dead you feel, you can be resurrected. But here's the thing, you have to respond. If you do not respond, you will waste your life. You will continue on a path of mediocrity. You will squander your inheritance and you will look back with regret. But if you will choose to respond to the wake-up call, you'll be surprised by what God can do in you and through you. Look throughout church history. Look in the scripture and you'll see as we were just singing that God is famous for over and over again turning graves into gardens. And so your story is not over. Death does not have to be your destiny, but you have to respond. And therefore, because that is true, here's what I want to do. I want about the band to come forward. And I want to create a moment, just some space for just one minute, for you to respond to what Jesus is calling you to. Maybe for some of you, you already know in this message what the Spirit has, has been convicting you of. Maybe you don't. But I would just encourage you right now, just before we start shuffling around, just would you honestly ask Jesus this question, am I spiritually alive or am I dead? Jesus, is there any unfinished work that you have called me to do, that I'm not doing? Are there things I've punted? Are there things I, I'm not doing that I know you've told me to do? Or are there things that I'm doing you've told me to stop doing? Jesus, have you been trying to get my attention? Have you been trying to wake me up? And I would just remind you this morning of this wonderful reality that if you have sinned, if you have found today that you have fallen short of God's glory, that the Bible is clear that you can turn to Jesus and he is faithful and he is just to forgive you of all of your sin and purify you of all unrighteousness.
And you see, that's what we remember every single week as we partake of communion. And it's this reminder that as it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, actually none of us are without sin in here. The Bible actually says that if you say you're without sin, the truth is not in you. None of us have perfectly loved God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loved our neighbor, including our enemy, as ourself. And so all of us, I think today, if, if, we, if we've listened to this message, I think the way Jesus wants to hear it, there's probably things that all of us say, yeah, like there's some stuff I need to turn from, I need to repent of. And the good news is today, as we just sung about, like you don't have to walk out of here in shame. You don't have to walk out of here in guilt. Like you can be met with the love of God poured out through Jesus Christ. And so if you have trusted in Jesus today, we would encourage you, if you're a member of this church, come forward, partake of communion. You can tear off a piece of bread, which represents the perfect life of Christ. Dip it in the juice, which represents his blood shed for you. But if you're here today and you are not a Christian, rather than receiving communion, we encourage you to receive Christ. And if you have more questions about that, come and talk with me. I'd love to pray with you and help you any way that I can. With that, let's stand together. As those preparing communion come forward. And I'll remind you that if you don't feel comfortable partaking communion up here, we have the disposable cups in the back. You can grab those if that serves you as well. But let's pray together, and then after I pray, we'll sing one more song when you're ready. You can take of communion, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you that you truly are a good father who loves your children. And you love us so much that you're willing to lovingly give us a wake-up call. Even if it means physical harm for the purpose of saving us from much deeper spiritual harm. God, I pray that if there's anybody here who has been lulled to sleep, they've been distracted, buying to lies about what the good life means, if maybe they can't sing that song that you're better, if they truly just do not believe that, if there are those here who have been wounded, who have wounded others, God, I just pray for healing. I pray for faith. I pray for repentance. I pray that your kindness will draw us to that place, that we will truly see that you are better, and that we will surrender all that we have to you, Jesus. And in you we will experience life, and we will bear a fruit that allows others to taste and see how good you really are. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.